Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. My co-host is Bruce Aldrich. Bruce is the expert on the vehicles. I'm the journalist, and I publish the website, theweeklydriver.com, and I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group. Um, I cannot think of anything else in the automotive world in the last few weeks. It's been the hottest topic. Nothing's been hotter than the expected arrival of the new Ford Bronco for a variety of reasons. And that brings to the forefront our guest today, uh, Brian Raybolt, and he is the valuation editor or valuation director uh, at Haggerty. And without blushing too much, um, I think it's a fair thing to say that Haggerty is the best at what they do. Their magazine is terrific. And uh, we've been bought and sold a couple of times being invited to their uh, Haggerty get together at the LA Auto Show when I first gotten to know some of the guys from Haggerty, and um, we always appreciate what Haggerty does, and and with their new drive program and the how they look at vintage cars, and they're just the expert among experts. So, welcome to our podcast, sir. Um, we can't wait to hear about your insights you, from the Bronco. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having uh, me, and and uh, thanks for your support. Sure. Well, why don't we jump into this? Um, in, in general terms, the Ford Bronco, um, I would say in the last few years, has come to uh, a new appreciation for a lot of people. Is that a good launching point for you? And can you kind of give us an overview of, you know, not that it, not that it shouldn't receive the, the, the um, acclaim that it's received, but why has it happened, do you think? Yeah, no, uh, that's a great place to start. I think um, the, the Bronco holds such a special place when it comes to, um, you know, the evolution of the SUV. It was one of the early entries. It wasn't the first, but the early entry in the, in the uh, 1966 uh, in the kind of personal SUV um, model lineup. And the fact that it had a 30-year run, um, it mostly stayed true to its roots where it was trying to be um, this vehicle that you could drive around town pretty comfortably take off road without any reservations. It can go anywhere in any weather um, and really be that kind of all around option is what's made it really special. Um, and over the years, um, you know, it kind of ushered in the SUV trend that took hold in the, in the nineties and two thousands. Um, and I think in terms of collectability and interest in these older Broncos after the, after the um, name was retired, we just see a lot of people that really gravitate towards that. And I think there's a lot of interest in general, um, for people who grew up around SUVs, um, looking back and, and remembering, um, you know, maybe a, a fifth generation 1990s Bronco that was in their driveway or their neighbor's driveway and looking back and, and uh, seeing some of the older ones and getting interested in it. These things started out in 66, as you said, and the first generation went for about 10 years or, or to 77. And those were yeah, the old right. boxy square things. And, but the good thing about them was they had the big old, uh, you know, V8 in them, whereas the competition, they were sixes primarily. So the, that was part of the allure, right, was the horsepower in the, in the Bronco. Yeah, I think one, one of the uh, early complaints, it was really kind of going uh, toe-to-toe with, with the Jeep, the early CJ5. Um, and like you said, those were definitely off-road capable, but they didn't have a lot of power to them. Uh, so Ford did offer a V8, um, not right out of the gate in the Bronco, but in later years um, for that first generation boxy style. And that's really kind of the one to have because it gives you 
that all-around flexibility. You can take it on the highway, get up to highway speeds, right? It's got enough power to uh, be practical and usable. Um, and it's uh, it's that 302 that, that was offered as well as the 289, um, which is highly uh, tunable. So you could take thing out of the box and you could kind of shape that, uh, that Bronco into what you wanted it to be with a little bit of money. I saw in your valuation tools, just for fun, I looked up a 77 Bronco with a 302. And uh, is that one of the most expensive? Or you had one at $143,000 at Concor condition sell recently? Was that a, what year yeah, was that been, one? Do you know? Uh, that was the first generation. Um, let me just take a quick look if I can find that one. Uh, it was a 1971. Uh, that was a really unique example. That was a Stroke Baja edition. So this is sort of one of these uh, cars that was, uh, sorry, one of these Broncos that was taken um, uh, off-road in the in the early Baja 1000 race. Um, and that one sold for $143,000 at, at auction um, not too long ago in 2018. Um, but yeah, the most, uh, like for a stock edition um, Bronco, the most expensive one that uh, you can find is uh, one of those 73 to, to 77 wagons. Um, 4x4, it's got the 302 engine, um, removable top, which makes it really cool, two-door body style, which, which all the uh, original Broncos had. Um, and, you know, for an excellent condition car for that, you're going to pay about 60 grand. Um, so I mentioned some modification options that, you know, people really like the configurability of these cars or the tunability. Um, sorry, I say cars, but, you know, interchangeable. Really. Yes. Um these, uh, these, um, um, you know, you can spend, pick a budget, and you can put that money into uh, a Bronco and turn it into anything you want. And so you see, it's a great platform for people to do these even two hundred thousand dollar builds. Um, it's not uncommon to see, um, and I'm sure you're familiar with Icon, one company that takes first generation Broncos among some other vehicles, and they turn them into jewelry um, and, and really. Um, do some amazing stuff in terms of modifications to them. I hadn't heard that term jewelry before. That's great. I, I love had, it. <laughs> I did see that company. Yes, they they stamp their own uh, body panels and just do all kinds of crazy stuff on that. Like you said, two hundred thousand dollar vehicles. Yeah, they're they're amazing. The quality the quality of craftsmanship is just incredible, and they they do a wonderful job. Uh, if uh, if that's what you're into, that's one of the one of the real fun things about these is that, like, like I said, you can. Um, whatever whatever your taste or your inclination is, you can kind of take that Bronco and you can keep it stock and, and it's a wonderful thing or you can make it your own um, and, and it's open an open canvas in a lot of ways. Now, Brian, uh, a little bit of a curve here. Um, we all know that the date of the new Bronco was uh, moved forward for four days, I believe. I think it's the 13th mm-hmm. or the 17th. Maybe they've changed it again. But... Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you do you think that Ford knew about uh, Mr. Simpson's birthday and then said, oh, we didn't know about it, or they honestly didn't know about it, and it wasn't a marketing um, scheme or a, a ploy by Ford because the Bronco itself was going to get plenty of attention, but certainly because of that unusual date, it's gotten a lot more attention. What are your thoughts on that, if you care to share? Yeah, I mean, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that that was a coincidence. Um, um, leave it at that. I think, uh, like you said, the Bronco is uh, its launch and its revival is getting a lot of attention. It's probably been the most talked about 
um, automotive event in the last year for sure, just not the last four years. I mean, this, uh, this has been a long lead time on this. So, um, you know, I think uh, no matter what, it was going to get a lot of attention. For people who don't know what we're talking about, it's the 1994, I believe, O.J. Simpson did his infamous low-speed chase through the streets of L.A., right? Yes. That is correct, yeah. I, uh, I remember watching that myself, as I'm sure 95 million other people uh, remember. I think that was the, <laughs> the number of people who, who watched it as yes. it was uh, interrupting uh, the NBA Finals, if I remember correctly. Um, very famous uh, moment in, in history. Yeah, that was a uh, Hertz rental at the time. I think he he was a spokesperson for Hertz, and uh, they rented Broncos at the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's, it's crazy. And, it just seems like it was uh, another lifetime ago. Uh, yeah, right. Um, I believe that Bronco is now in a museum um, in uh, Tennessee, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So with with Haggerty uh, specifically. What, uh, with this launch and with what you've done with, you know, the, uh, Bronco over the years, what, um, what significance does this, will this Bronco, do you think, looking into the crystal ball have compared to, you know, the other iconic Broncos that have, that we've just, we previously talked about or others that we haven't talked about so far? What, where do you think this Bronco will, will fit into the, the big picture? That's a great question. And I guess I, I'm going to, um, wait and see how it, how it ages. Cause, um, I think there's a lot of speculation about what it's going to be when it comes out. My hope is that it has a very, you know, direct connection, at least spiritually to previous mm-hmm. Broncos, which mm-hmm. is again, that like really flexible package that, that does a lot of things really well, allows people to, to a lot of freedom and mobility, I guess you could, you could put it that way. Yes. Um, and still remain affordable, accessible, um, and then give people a lot of options in terms of, customizing um that's my hope um i think from everything i've, I've read and seen they're going to hold pretty true to that uh the long term you know as the product uh and the name evolves i'm sure it's going to expand in, in terms of, and that's always a challenge because it, it may try to do everything for everybody um which can make it stray a little bit um but we'll, we'll see i think it is kind of interesting to point out that the Bronco as it stands today in terms of, you know, interest in, in older models is it kind of took hold and maybe I'd say the last 10 years as, as vintage SUVs in general have become more accepted. But for a long, long time, it wasn't seen as a collectible vehicle or anything other than an old cheap ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that flip, it, it happened pretty quickly, but it did take a long time. So we'll see, just uh, you know how accepted the the new Bronco is, and and uh, how quickly enthusiasts flock uh, to it. Yes, I was looking at your back to that '77 uh, Bronco that I looked up on your valuation tools on your mm-hmm. website, and uh, the graph is kind of flat. And then about 2011, it starts to march up, and then quite steeply for for a few years, and then by 2018, it flattens again. Is there any explanation yeah, on how that, why or how that works? Yeah, I mean, um, they, they finally leveled up. I remember every time we updated our price guide and we would analyze those numbers, we'd be like, okay, certainly this is going to be the uh, period where the Bronco finally settles down. It's like, sure enough, nope, it doesn't. We would challenge it really hard and say, no, there's no way it's been, gone up another 20% in the last three months. Um, but sure enough, it did. Um, I think... Part of uh, its appeal is that it was affordable for a long time. 
and people started to realize like this is a fun, distinct car. I mean, if if, if you take a '66 Bronco out, you get noticed in in a really great way. It's just a fun, um, uh, enjoyable SUV. People love it, um, and it stands out. So it's very it's a great way to express your personality. Um, and as a cheap option, you know, people were really interested in them. Um, and then people started seeking out kind of the best of the best. So the ones that were really high quality, um, either original or restored. And so as they were willing to pay more for the best example, that kind of brought a lot of attention to them and people really started to, to recognize them for the, the fun choice that they were. So they were undervalued for a long time. Um, and then I think just rising prices, um, can only last so long, and they've they've hit a point where you know at at sixty or seventy thousand dollars, that's a lot of money for a lot of people to spend on you know something like that. Um, so it kind of hits a natural ceiling. Um, but as that first generation goes up in price, people look around and and they start to say, okay, well maybe I don't want to spend thirty thousand dollars on that Bronco, but I still want the Bronco. So they look at later generations and they start to substitute. So those rising prices for the early cars tends to lift uh, prices for the later ones as well. We are coming up on three years, I think, in our podcast. And, and early on, I was just driving in our neighborhood, and, and I went past a little place where there's a coffee shop I frequent, and there was a, a Ford Bronco in the um, parking lot, and I forgot the exact details of it, but Bruce might remember. But I, um, I saw the woman getting into the Bronco who was uh, actually owned a... Um, an interior decorator business and they were moving mm-hmm. and so forth. And we had a little conversation. I grabbed her card and she took my card. And then we went to her home, which was in a, in a nice um, upscale neighborhood here in Sacramento. And we, we did a podcast about her, her Bronco. And, 82. Yeah. 82 Bronco. And um, she, they, they were just so into this car and, and it, I didn't hadn't really, it hadn't really dawned on me um, that, how beautiful these cars really are. And, and she took us all, and she, you know, her interior decorating business kind of fit that lifestyle. She did, she does high end things and her home was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and this car just fit her personality and um, her exuberance for, for her business and for her car. It was a perfect match. And, and she's done some modeling and for her business. And I think personally, and uh, it was a perfect she was a great model, but so was the car. Is what I'm trying to get to. It was great, great match, great match. Um, well, yeah, the the later ones they are uh, they are stylish in their own way. I mean, it's very practical, and like I don't think many people look at a, a that would be like a third generation eighty to eighty six Bronco and are like that's gorgeous. But they they're distinctive, and I think the two door body style on an SUV special in its own way um, that stand out, and I think. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have recognized that, that it's a, it's a way to make a statement and be a fun choice all at the same time. I'm kind of known for my uh, naive questions here, but um, is the new Ford Bronco uh, among, I think, maybe now 3 or 4% of vehicles that come with a standard transmission? Well, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's very low. Yeah. Um, I know a great, way, uh, a great way to jump the line in production if you want a new car is to order it with a manual transmission because uh there usually aren't as many people waiting for those gotcha um, but yeah um yeah that's uh that's something that is is a lost art um in a lot of ways i know um hire a quick plug that's something that we try and um help a lot we do a lot of youth driving programs where we try and get some uh people behind the wheel of a manual transmission and teach them how to how to 
drive um, stick using a variety of old cars so they can get a feel for it. So, gotcha. Um, it's something that I think is important skill for people to learn because it opens up a lot of options for cars that you can buy and own and drive and have fun with. Yes. Sure, for collector cars, yeah, you got to be able to work a manual. That's right. Brian, what do you think are, um, as far as the K5 Blazer, which is a competitor mm-hmm. car to the Bronco, and and then I hate to even use the word to sully the the podcast here, but the, the Bronco 2 from 82. How does, <laughs> yeah, how does the that, yeah, how's the uh, Bronco 2 or the K5 Blazer, what, what are their valuations? Do you know? Yeah, the K5 Blazer is um, right on par with the... Uh, with, with the earlier Broncos in terms of it, it, it's gotten to be expensive and then similar kind of thing. It's uh, a lot larger than the original Bronco, um, but more in line with some of the later ones in terms of size, very capable two door option, you know, rough and rugged four wheel drive, all that great stuff that people like about the Bronco. It all fits with, uh, with the blazer. Um, and you can look at that and it kind of comes down to if you're a Ford person or a Chevy person, which seems to be a universal split. Um, in terms of what, what you want. So um, they're right in step uh, in terms of value. The Bronco 2 is kind of a totally different thing. Um, it shares that name, um, different platform. Um, they're they're kind of cool in their own right. They're still very affordable. Um, and I think they, they're still in that point where they were manufactured in the mid-'80s. Um, they were affordable, uh, i.e. cheap. And then, um, you know, as they moved into second, third, fourth owners, a lot of people bought them because they were cheap and maybe they've been driven into the ground. So there aren't a lot of great examples out there, but they are distinct. They are, they stand out. I don't know um, if a, a lot of you kind of can picture them, but they're very small two door. They've got, um, you know, some, some strange rear windows that kind of make it stand out. Um, but you can still have fun with them and they're affordable. So I think they're a great choice, especially as uh, you know, the, the larger Broncos and the earlier first gen Broncos, become very expensive uh you know it's, it's worth looking at i i do recall the weird windows um as you call them the the curve of the glass didn't match the curve of the the body so it, it just didn't work <laughs> <laughs> there's one right around the corner from my house so uh, every time i walk my dog i can yes can look at it and just wonder what, what it would be like if I, uh, uh, knocked on the door and see if i could buy it I spent quite a bit of time up at the Lake Tahoe um, outside uh, the valley in Sacramento. And uh, every time I go up there, I see at least two or three Broncos and maybe one K5 Blazer every time up there. They're a real popular car. And they have the, you typically have, there's no doors and they have the roof panels off. And it's just a great uh, sort of off road convertible. Yeah. Uh, for people who are active, um, you know, you can. Uh, they're one of these rare breeds where, like, a lot of times I'll, I'll throw the uh, FJ40 out there, the early Land Cruiser. I love those, um, those little things. But um, the knock on them is they're, you know, fine to drive around town, and they're great to drive on a forest road. But the in-between space is really rough because they're underpowered, um, they're loud, the ride is really jarring. And um, these Broncos aren't quite the same. They're a lot more comfortable. So for people who are active, they give you... Uh, kind of the best of, of all worlds there. You can get up, get, you know, drive around town, take on the highway, get out to where you want to go in a remote place and enjoy it there as well. You're right. I've forgotten the, uh, that Land Cruiser. Um, I, I see those occasionally up there too, but not very often. Brian, uh, since this is your business with Haggerty and 
you know, you guys see a lot of cars, um, some very valuable, some affordable, as you would say, i.e. cheap. <laughs> I, I like that when you said that. Um, do you make it part of your uh, expertise or what you do to kind of look into the future and say, well, not the Ford Bronco, but a car that one might not expect will be a collector's car? And, and would you care to share what you think might be a collector car or two down the road in 10 or 15 years? Do you, do you get into that kind of business at all, of, um, looking into, well, I'm going to buy this car because maybe in 25 years it's going to be worth X? Uh, sure. Yeah, we do that all the time, uh, and sometimes we're even right, so that's great. The, um, <laughs> yeah. the uh, I joke, but the um, it's one of those things. Like um, we're always, my you know, the, the valuation team in Haggerty, we're always looking at trends and trying to figure out what people are interested in. Can we understand um, how tastes might be changing? Um, and that's a constant thing for us. And a lot of times that means that values are going to change as a result, right? So demand might go up for a certain model, and um, as a result, we're going to see prices go up. Um, so we do that all the time. I think um, it's not it's not terribly hard um, if you can kind of look at what's popular today and try and understand why it's popular, and then figure out as those cars or those options get more expensive, what's the you call it the principle of substitution? But what what would you buy instead if you couldn't afford that? So you could take the Bronco as an example um, and throw in a couple other um, you know factors and say, well, probably. Some of those uh, really nice, which there aren't that many left, but some really nice uh, Japanese SUVs of the 80s and 90s are probably so might be surprising, but like a, a Suzuki Samurai or something like that that has um, very affordable right now. Um, you're not going to get rich buying one, but you could probably buy one for not very much. You know, say five thousand dollars, and then maybe five years, it's going to be worth maybe ten thousand dollars, something like that. Yes. Um, so. Those are those things, and it's kind of like it serves a similar purpose. Um, it's a very active vehicle. It's visually striking. Um, it's different, kind of quirky and fun. Um, and it, it, the people who are interested in buying those really like uh, a lot of the Japanese models that were coming out at that time, and that's kind of based on you know their younger buyers generally. Um, so that's what they're going to naturally be inclined to to go seek out. So I think that. Things like that are are good choices, um, and then we just see a lot of interest in general in cars from the 2000s, enthusiast cars. Um, so some of these have already hit, but like uh, Honda S2000, um, yes. something like that, that uh, um, is a really sporty, practical, usable, fun car. Um, really uh, kind of has a, a good balance of usability and performance. So things are going to be good. So we kind of look at. Uh, Cars that, that fill that mold, um, you know, early Subaru WRXs and STIs are good examples. Um, and it all depends on how clean they are, uh, which is kind of the, the hard part. Because these fun cars were driven really hard, um, as they should be, until finding one that hasn't, hasn't been uh, um, driven away really is, is, is the challenge. Yeah, take it, take it to a shop to take an independent look at a car before you buy it. Be good advice. Yeah, exactly. One thing I'd, uh, just as a plug for Hagerty, if you uh, have a car insured through them, a collector car like I do, you're part of the Drivers Club, and the Drivers Club includes these crystal ball readings where they pick cars that they think are going to go up in value, and, and they're 
Interesting to read. Yeah. So I, they do a lot of the crystal ball stuff. Like I you say, I don't know if yeah, they're ever we, right. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they do it. Well, we do hold ourselves we do hold ourselves in check. So um, yeah, we we produce what we call the bull market list once a year, and we've done it for three years. And we're actually starting up right now to look at the uh, the, the next year what we're going to add to that list. Is very. I'm possible. I'm wondering. Um, uh, go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. So we pick like ten ten cars that we feel are going to go up in the next year in value. Um, we give our reasons why, and we explain what the car is, what makes it interesting uh, or cool. And then every time we publish that, we go back and we grab our list from previous years, and we, we tell you how we did if we get it right. Our track record is pretty good. That's good. Okay, we usually we get like about uh, seven or eight of the ones that we pick are, are ones that uh, perform to expectations. Uh, I've only seen four or five in Sacramento. Of course, we live in a you know a metropolitan city, uh, and, and I know – where my mother and sister live in, in a nice area in the East Bay, there's apparently a pristine uh, car that I am keep my eyes open for. And I'm wondering if with Breaking Bad, if the, the good old ugliest car ever made, the Pontiac Aztec, <laughs> has come to now be a collector's car. And if you guys have maybe done a story on those already, or if I'm, I'm missing the point here, or, or if maybe it is on the horizon as a collector's car. I don't know. I remember there was one that had a picnic table you could pull out the back. and I've never driven one, but... They They're had ugly. a tent that, that you could uh, set up right and attach it to the rear hatch and yeah. sleep in it and walk right out the back. Um, yeah, though they, um, you know, I don't know if they've hit collector status, but they certainly have a following. So there is like an Aztec club, and if you own an Aztec, I've you heard get of that. Accepted yeah. into this. I see them around. I mean, they were derided when new, but I think the, you know, people people find an appreciation for um models like that so it's it's weirdness and it's quirkiness which didn't make it a success when new is what makes it stand out today and some people really appreciate that the other one just owning one and driving one gets attention so that's kind of a fun thing too the only uh, the other one i've never driven but i've always liked the way it looked and some people love it some people hate it is the volkswagen eos the hard top convertible i've always liked the way that looked yeah um maybe that is on the horizon somewhere. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just one of the ones that I see on the road and I like it. So any well, thoughts on that? Tell people buy, yeah. We, I always tell people buy what you like and forget about the rest. You, uh, you know, um, regardless of what the value does, you're going to drive it and use it and enjoy it. So, um, if you're buying for value and, and to get rich, there are easier ways and, and more guaranteed ways to do it. So that's right. If you like it, go get it. Um, I haven't seen that, that appreciation for the EOS yet, but, um, Convertibles are fun, so uh, Volkswagens are great cars. So I don't know. There's probably probably an upside to it. Brian, uh, just back to Broncos again. There's like five generations. The sixth one's coming out, but out of those five, I think we mostly talked about the first gen. But what what's the least uh, generation? It's uh, I don't know least sought after, or what's your opinion on the various generations? Yeah, yeah. Um, the second generation is kind of the, the forgotten one, I guess, because it was only two years, 1978 and 79. It was the first full-size Bronco. Um, and I think uh, the reasoning was the, uh, the oil crisis really delayed the launch. So by the time they got around to launching it, the uh, third generation was nearly ready. Um, so really short run. You don't see them very often. Interesting, though, they have gone up in value the most out of all the generations that um, – Integrity Price Guide reports on, um, and that's up 60% in value over the last year. So although you don't see wow. them, 
Um, they are highly sought after. Um, so that's kind of interesting. They're, they're fun because they've got that late seventies, um, you know, styling in terms of like the paint schemes and, and all that sort of stuff. So they're, they don't have those colors that pop. They're more kind of brown, beige, yellow kind of thing. Um, but that's, that also makes them very much of the era, which, which kind of makes them cool in their own right. Um, so I like those a lot. Um, the, the third generation, which would be 80 to 86 is one of the most affordable. So the, the third and fourth generation, which is really just the cars, uh, uh the ones that were built in the eighties, um, up to 1991, um, are right about the same price. Um, and they're, they're great too. I mean, they're, um, again, full size. Um, and they just kind of got a little bit more creature comfort. Um, and then the last generation, of course, is the one that most people kind of think of because of the pop culture um, appearance that it had um, and the role it played um, in that in that chase we mentioned. Um, those are those are good. I see those around too. So they're a lot more common to find. Um, by the time that they were hitting the market, they were kind of um, I guess the, the knock was that they weren't as modern as a lot of other options. And more and more people were kind of looking for something that was full size as SUVs became more um, more commonplace. Um, but they're they're good too. It's the only um, only one that has OBD two actually too. So that's kind of oh, a, interesting. Uh, a notable thought. Yes. Well, Brian, we've kept you a little bit longer than we said we would, but um, we could, like I said earlier, we could spend a lot more time. But we got Orithol. Simpson up next, so we yeah, we got we have got an interview OJ next. So um, just kidding, of course. Um, but we want to thank you. Um, I'm kind of misidentified you uh, early in the broadcast. I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, it's Brian Raybolt, uh, and he is the uh, vice president of valuation services for Haggerty. And um, can't thank you enough for being our guest today on the Weekly Driver podcast. Uh, we want to remind people to visit my website, the Weekly Driver. Dot com And, of course, visit Haggerty. Um, you might think you might have an extra half hour to look at Haggerty's site, but you'll be there for three or four hours because it's, it's just fantastic. So, Brian, thanks a lot. We hope um, – I was going to say shake hands, but we'll just hope to meet you someday. And whatever, whatever, the, whatever the allowed uh, meeting gesture is at that time, maybe we'll meet you one of these days. And, and uh, thanks again for, for being our guest today. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Brian. Sounds great. Thanks, James. Thanks, Reese. Welcome. Right. Okay. Take care now. Bye-bye.